This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we discuss what made news, what didn't, and some things that shouldn't have. Today, we have the amazing Vijeta Singh from The Hindu to discuss all things internal security and more. Before The Hindu, Vijeta has been with The Indian Express and The Hindustan Times. Hi, Vijeta. Welcome to Reporters. Thank you so much. Uh, we also have our head of research, Ayush Tiwari, joining us. Hi, Ayush. Hi, Cherry. You've been missing for some time. Where have you been? I've been around. You haven't been paying attention, that's it. <laughs> I really think you've been on chutti and we just weren't informed. Okay, right, but that's the thing for after the podcast talk. <laughs> we also have Gaurav on my right. Hi, Gaurav. Hi, Chari. Uh, what are you going to be talking about today? We'll be talking about two stories that mm-hmm. you can find on our website and... Uh, both are actually pretty recent, so you guys should check them out as soon as possible. So is your story going to hold the government accountable? In certain ways, yeah. Okay. In certain ways. So we'll talk about that, but with the pleasantries done, I hope you're ready for some education and some fun. Uh, because the panel has done some amazing work, right, Ayush? You've right. been do- working on a story? Yeah, I have <laughs> okay. been working on a story. So you, will you be giving away the details? I can give some info, but not the juicy bits. Scoop alert. so uh, what are the stories that you've been working on that have kept you really uh, sleepless probably well like most of us the what given what has transpired in the last week or two i mean we've been occupied here trying to deal with the media coverage of the post balakot you know discourse after the airstrikes that the indian air force conducted in inside pakistan so my story that i will be talking about is the number that came out of the casualties, the 300 figure that came up from some source. I'll be talking about that, yes. Ubajeta, what are the stories that have kept you sleepless? Of course, Balakot. <laughs> <laughs> the entire week and uh, the government's action uh, which they planned against uh, Jashi Muhammad because Jashi Muhammad has been on their radar since 2001. Right. Um, uh, because in 1999, uh, after the IC-814 was hijacked, uh, Masood mm-hmm. Azhar was released along with two other people. Correct. And he went on to form uh, Jashi Muhammad. Uh, and uh, they have carried out uh, spectacular attacks in India post-2001. Uh, parliament attack was the one. You have done a sort of a profile on Jashi Muhammad's origin and Masood Azhar, right? Yes. So uh, we'll be talking about that in detail. Gaurav, you've already shared a brief or do you want to also mention the other story you'll be talking about? Uh, well, just to give a short, like a quick brief about very, it, the the, the other story is just <laughs> about the highest spenders on in terms of advertising on Facebook, mm. and this report was released day before yesterday, so it's pretty recent. Okay, uh, Ayush, beginning with you, given our format, what did you think was overreported by the media? What did you think went underreported? Well, we all know what was overreported. And we just we're going to discuss that and mm-hmm. probably over discuss that today. But what I re- uh, something I saw that broke this morning, I think, or yesterday, I'm not sure. The Wire broke the story that ABP News faked a talk yeah. show at IIT Bombay. How did I yes. miss that? It just came out, and APB News did this show there on the 2nd of March, where they brought university students, apparently, which turned out not to be university students. Mm -hmm. And these students were given extra attention when it came to asking questions to the panelists. The panelists were the spokesperson of the Congress and the BJP. Mm -hmm. But later, it turned out that at least 11 of those 50 students of IIT Bombay weren't students of the university. At least one of them is from the Hindu Yuva Vahini. Oh, wow. Yes. And ABP after that report came out, after Wire put out a report and spectacular report, really good work. ABP News has taken out that video, that talk show from its website. 
and the spokesperson have said that they didn't have any permissions to bring these mm. students from outside and it's just i mean after i covered aligarh where i was 2 weeks ago where republic tv went inside the university didn't take permission then behaved mm-hmm. very rudely with the students this is another instance of this channel just barging in without asking the university who they are bringing along and mm. trying to put out a narrative by you know selectively putting certain people asking them questions and if you notice all their questions are pro modi they're taking it pot shots at the congress and that too without permission so it's just i mean you have to applaud the kind of audacity these channels have that they can just go inside an institution of that caliber and do something like this but yes it's not a good pattern nevertheless uh just to make a plug here aisha's story is up on our website newslaundry.com so do check it out but now i really want to go to vijayta because she's been covering uh, pulwama balakot so closely vijayta just to get us started there are there've been so many differing narratives about the casualty numbers about whether the indian air force crossed the border or not whether we killed yusuf uh, yusuf azhar could you tell us what really happened at the jabba top see there are uh, two things two aspects to the story one is the of course uh, whether if uh, uh indian air force they there was a precision strike hmm. there's no doubt about it even pakistan has admitted and before india could own up to the attacks last week pakistan's ispr they issued a press statement and they put out photographs that you know indians indian aircrafts had transgressed and uh, they did uh, there was a uh, they ejected payload so uh, that is beyond question that Correct. there was a precision air strike and the place uh, where the air strike took place uh, there is a madarsa which is run by jaish e mohammed so it's a known thing uh, the madarsa has been there since 2001 and as far as intelligence is concerned uh, uh, they were training uh, fidai squads so Correct. that is a different aspect but uh, to give a to put the numbers uh, to give numbers it's very difficult for if or anybody because uh, uh, pakistan is very secretive about these things we have seen reports that after the attack took place the entire area was taken over by the army and the police the area was cordoned so, off so yeah there are two routes to the madarsa and no reporter whether from uh, reuters or bbc or even vion nobody Correct. was allowed to go take the alternate route and go to the madarsa so they were only given a tour of the Uh, surrounding area yeah, huh. where the crater was there watch they they were shown what they wanted you to see so that is a different aspect but mm. to put out numbers it's a very uh, tricky affair i don't know who is giving out these numbers <laughs> because uh, none of the officials none of the home ministry defense nobody is giving out these numbers i think uh, the numbers came about because uh, the capacity of that uh, madarsa it's around 300 correct so I mean what you're saying raises two very important questions right I mean we don't know who the source of this number is but media organizations across reported 300 and later even Amit Shah came out and said that there were like 250 people killed but the IAF has said that it's premature to give out casualty numbers and then they said that they don't really count the casualty right so i mean one as a reporter covering internal security as a reporter who's been following this i mean how do we caution against source based stories because in a lot of these stories the sources want to remain anonymous yeah that is that is a problem we constantly face when we are doing uh, security related stories because nobody wants to come on record and uh, it's it's a it's a very very challenging area 
so the only thing is that you have to ask questions even to anonymous sources and uh, questions counter questions because that is how you get the real picture if you stop asking questions and just you know uh, note down what they're saying and just reproduce what they're saying they may not doing justice i mean we have to raise questions correct absolutely so in this case uh, i don't uh, blame the tv channels also mm-hmm. because the news was put out through ani which correct. is a private news agency and there is so much competition so everybody had to put out so whatever ani was pushing everybody was you know uh, copying it and uh, airing it as it is right. so even I'm, pti i think hmm. the first copy of the whole uh, affair that pti put out they put a number of 350 hmm. i mean everyone else is putting 300 but that's the highest number that has been put out by a I mean, you can say fa- someone with fairly good reputation is PTI, which is three mm-hmm. fifty on the morning of twenty six. So obviously, they, somebody was somebody pushed this information. Somebody pushed this information. I don't know who, because I was not given this number. Correct. By people who I spoke to. Aish, you've been just to bring you in here, and I want to bring Gaurav in here too. But uh, you've been looking at where this number first came about and how reporters got the numbers. If you want to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, so my story is going to be about who actually put out those numbers. I don't think I should be saying that here, but I mean, rest assured, as the reports themselves say, it comes from a top government official. Mm-hmm. And the as Vijayda was saying that you have to cross question, and only then you can get the details. Without doing that, you just probably just carry a statement that they've prepared. So. it turned out that this number came out upon cross questioning as if when this official was talking about the details of the mm. air strike on the morning of 26 february um, there are several reporters and people who were constantly haranguing her with give us more details uh, and only when the reporter pushed these of this official did that official give that number so yeah that that cross questioning does occur so just please correct me if i am wrong it was an off the record briefing where this number was given it was an off the record briefing so- Yes. this also i mean brings about this we have this entire debate this entire discussion about off the record background sources what does it really mean where does where do reporters actually stand on that and before i ask vijayta and you to comment on that gorov we as media reporters you also speak to sources who want to remain anonymous sure. right because their job is on the line but do you often feel like there's this fear that you, because these sources are not named they their stakes are reduced and they could just be lying so how do you caution against that and do you like i am often fearful that once the report goes out and my source is just like mm-hmm. flips over and says i didn't talk to you or this is not the information i gave so how do you ensure do you also feel that fear and how do you ensure or verify what the source is telling you Well, first of all, I think sources that need to be kept anonymous because the story is that important. And if, although if you keep them anonymous, they it will take away from the story. But some in some cases, the the source has to be completely kept anonymous. It might look like you're probably putting the gun on somebody else's shoulder and then pulling the trigger. But you will have done your due diligence and you will have had the paper trail of you know when you're speaking to your source, whatever it is. So that will back you up if your source does flip over. But in my personal experience, if a story is this sensitive. and you are really tight with your source and you know that what they're saying is can be held accountable they won't flip over because they know how sensitive the story is is in the first place that they have to be kept anonymous 
uh aish since we were talking about off the record and background sources uh this debate had come over when rahul gandhi also had a press conference with women journalists and there were reports quoting official sources but we don't know who these sources were and when people say that it's off the record what do you think do you use the quotes do you just not name the person how do you go about it so i mean to be honest i don't have any actual clarity on what off the record stands for i think your vijeta would be the right yeah, person to go to <laughs> because the two options and i've been looking this up and some as someone who's fairly young into the profession there are two definitions that people give that either one off the record is that you don't cite the source hmm. but you give away the information anyway and the second that you don't give away the information you don't give away the source it's probably just a way of saying you have to dig further and corroborate from others and then you go and find other people and then you cite that in your report okay. but yeah vijeta would be a better one to tell us perhaps what in, in at least in the landscape of indian journalism of the record actually means off the record <laughs> we face this every day because none of the ministry officials talk on record hmm. and off the record is also a way of you know gaining their confidence because nobody wants to put their neck on line and there are conduct rules uh, so they, they can be held accountable because only the spokesperson is actually yeah, allowed to speak on the record yeah but the spokesperson will only give you you know what he wants to give you what the government wants Yeah. I mean it's very sarkari thing. Yeah. So to to deal with babus also you'll have to like you know get mm. their confidence and uh, in my career I have not seen like many babus bureaucrats lying through okay. their teeth. Mm. I mean they do lie but <laughs> off record they don't. Okay. <laughs> Most of the time. No, I mean but doesn't that sort of lower down the stakes? Like for example if it does it does. but it all sometimes uh, it also helps us because uh, we get a lot of information it is upon you on how like to judge the story and how you use information mm-hmm. i mean not uh, just uh, just reproduce everything what he's Correct. saying just do your due diligence cross check everything so in journalism you'll have to take those risks and you'll have to factor in these uh areas where uh, it's a, it's a very very uh, slippery slippery ground yeah so i think what i'm hearing from the panel is that you definitely have to corroborate have some kind of uh, document mm-hmm. or and also not have a single source based story right yeah. exactly and i think um, so we've been talking about this that especially i think when it comes to the national security hmm. beat that precaution has to be taken and there's one particular editor of a reputed publication I mean, who's been in the swamp. I mean, Pratik did a story. Yeah, Pratik did a story on that, which and you can find on newslaundry.com. Yes, and <laughs> so some, something like that needs to be avoided. Correct. Yes. Uh, but Vijayta, I want to come back to the profile of sort of a profile of Jaish e Mohammed that you did. Uh, what are the origins of Jaish? Which was the parent organization? How did Masood Azhar become what he is today? See, uh, there was uh, in 1994 there was used to be an organization called Harkatul Ansar. Okay. So that organization obviously it was Pakistan based, and uh, they had abducted, uh, kidnapped twelve uh, foreigners in Correct. Kashmir, especially mm-hmm. in Kashmir area. and uh, uh, so th- that is what the origin so uh, masood azhar he was sent to india uh, to uh, recruit people he sent was to india india or uk 
India, India. Okay. Masood Azhar. He okay. was in Pakistan. He was sent to India. Okay. He had already worked in Afghanistan where he had some uh, bullet injury and then he ha- ran away from that place. This sounds like a movie plot. <laughs> <laughs> you should read the meadow. So it's okay. described there. And uh, so it, he was in, uh, in fact, he was giving sermons at, uh, not sermons, he he was mingling with people at Hazrat Nizamuddin. Okay. So from oh, wow. there, the intelligence agencies got, uh, got a tip off that this guy is... You know, it's fairly You're important guy. So they got on his trail and then he had already moved to Kashmir okay. by then. So uh, somebody was telling, some, we were discussing this in office yesterday. So he was coming out of Anantnag or some, I, I'm forgetting the name of the place. So his, his scooter broke down and that that's how he was arrested in 1994. Oh, wow. So from 1994 to till 1999, there were like a lot of efforts uh, by his parent organization to you know, uh, for his release, mm-hmm. and the f- the, which finally culminated in the hijacking of IC eight one four from Nepal, Correct. after which he was released. After which and he was released. After, uh, after his release, he he said that I'm going to form a new outfit, independent organization, and that's how Jashi Muhammad was formed. Formed. Correct. Uh, Gaurav Ayush Tio. Yeah, yeah. I I want to know how I mean Jashi Muhammad shifts because I was talking to a senior editor who works in the same national security, and he was telling me about how after the airstrikes, before the airstrikes, their bases kept changing. So they start off in Balakot, then probably they shift to Bahawalpur, was it? That's and then I think the main is the, main is the headquarters. Yes, yeah. Right. So and and the and Balakot, you said there's a madrasa. So is this madrasa the same as the? Terrorist camp that the foreign so, secretary. So yeah, so it described. runs in the name of a madarsa. Okay. Oh, I'm forgetting the name. I'll, uh, I'm just forgetting the name. That's okay. <laughs> so uh, it is. It is a madarsa, but uh, Indian agencies claim that. Uh, it's a terror camp. Yeah, it also doubles up as a you know training center for the uh, terrorists. Correct. Uh, I also want to talk about. I mean, how do you see, given that you've been covering internal security, how do you see this change? All of you guys, actually, since you've all been looking at news reports, how do you see this changing the dynamics between India and Pakistan? Whoever wants to go first. So, in fact, one of my stories that I will be talking about speaks of how important it is, even at a time when, you know, the the climate is a little tight and national security is at stake. It talks about how important is it, if it is at all, to voice both sides of the coin. Correct. For example, should we only be hearing and echoing the Indian narrative of what's happening in real time or should we show both sides of like what's going on and let the reader make up their own mind? A show cause notice was issued to two channels. Exactly, yeah. Could you tell us more about that? Uh, so that's so that's what my story is about. Um, it talks about these two channels, Tiranga TV and EBP News, who had uh, aired a Pakistani pre- press conference live as, as and when it was going on. And they showed it for about 20 minutes without like, without saying, without interrupting it, without like an anchor taking over, whatever Correct. it is. And they were issued a show cause notice by the INB ministry saying that you have flouted section 6-1 and 6-2. And what you is will be, section 6-1 and uh, 6-2? It talks about how they've basically violated national, it talks about how they violated national security by showing this in real time. Oh, okay. Um, so, so what I did was I reached out to a, a few senior journalists, you know, probably Rajdeep Sardesai and Ram. I spoke to them about this to see, uh, is it fair? Because see, at one point, no matter how strongly you feel about your country, when it comes to point of view from the news, you really do need to show both sides of the story and then leave it up to the reader. Correct. You make up your own mind about it. Hmm. Does that, does this stance need to be weakened in a time of national security? Maybe. But that hmm. should be left to the wisdom of the newsrooms and not be forced down your throat by the INB ministry. But I mean... 
it's there in the regulations that you can't show the other side no if you okay wait i'm just going to i mean i think they they use the exception rule like the way mm-hmm. national security is usually thrown around that you can obviously you can show the both sides but when it comes to national security and it comes to the safety of the state i think it's might be something like that rule in fact rule 61 states that no program should be carried in the cable service which is likely to encourage or incite violence or contains anything against maintenance of law and order or which promotes anti-national attitudes there you go but this was merely information i mean where does it exactly so for this so, so for the ministry to send you a notice yeah. saying that you know you've actually shown 20 minutes of this press conference live hmm. was was really questionable cause a lot of news channels didn't show it right a lot of right. news channels refrain from showing it they might have been tweeting out information hmm. but these two channels showed it live and maybe ethically somewhere it wasn't it wasn't right but that should be how left. wasn't it right i mean what's wrong in okay that? so so in the story that i did i i spoke to our jagannathan as well and he hmm. says that in in his words why should we give like free air time to the enemy at a time when we ourselves don't know what the narrative is so mm. at this time we should be the ones controlling the narrative what you can do is as a media person you can probably monitor what the other side is saying wait for the indian side to give its in- information and then play both of them side by mm. side but, but not all information the indian side is not giving information which is what has been very problematic which is why like rule 61 will need to be questioned that is it inciting violence according to the current government or am i mm. actually inciting violence just by showing the other side of the story right jata what do you no, think no actually uh, airing of pakistani channels is banned in india oh so yeah so that is that may also be one of the reasons that but we can still see sama tv and the other on youtube but yeah. not on cable i think so many of the ah. serials and all were also pulled down from cable there used to be a lot of yeah. uh, you know pakistani soaps that used to run on cable yeah. they've been pulled down as well Okay, so this rule has been there for quite but some I time. But I think uh, burden of proof f- of setting this narrative is I, th- I think you quoted R. Jagannathan. Mm. I think that should be on the government. It's the government that should be concerned about why it's not addressing a press conference. And by the way, just if you just forget the Pulwama affair and all of this, this government isn't some you know a government that is very friendly to the media in that way. They haven't done many press conferences, so it 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 should have been there on their shoulders to put out their own narrative. and mm-hmm. probably we obviously indian channels would have shown that but when they didn't and when the need of the rs to know what's what's going to happen then you switch to yeah. the other side and, to know what yeah, the other side is saying also as this attitude also assumes that then average indian reader is probably s- so stupid mm-hmm. that they see a pakistani general giving a press conference and they think oh that's the truth no a person would say oh that's the pakistani side of the story they wouldn't take that sure. as true but at so the same this assumes the people are not as bright as the minister of information and broadcasting no, i think this is sort of broad brushing who the audience is the audience could also be other like perpetrators right because media is not just giving it to the regular citizens what is going on tv is also accessible by everyone is also accessible to everyone i think But the biggest red flag probably would be that okay let's say that we're a channel and we're airing a pakistani press conference live as it is happening what it does is you can't really control what they're saying because you're not going to make hard cuts in the middle of the show right you're going to be showing the press conference live if probably you have an anchor taking over in the middle to change the narrative it's fine if you're just going to give them free air time and not control the narrative then i think it could be a double edged sword because right. then it could shift either way right that, and, can, and yeah so we can say we can reserve judgment on that but the notice they served didn't say anything like this no right? not at all in right. fact in fact one of the senior journalists i spoke to for my piece says that 
I don't want the INB ministry shoving a notice down my throat. Probably yeah. the government should form an independent body itself that should keep a check on this. Right, and exactly, and the digital equivalent of this would be that many of these uh, digital outlets carried stories saying what the Park newspapers are saying, what the mm-hmm. Park press is saying. We also did one. We did India mm-hmm. and Park, but Huffington Post, Quint, scrolled its stories saying, "Here's what Park newspapers are saying." So, I mean, would that also be considered against national security? Which in is these what, times? what mm-hmm. I just want to point out. Media is not just to set the narrative. Media is not just a tool for the government to set the narrative. We are not the spokesperson of the government. Media is there to raise questions, mm-hmm. and raising questions, media raising questions, doesn't make them anti-national or unpatriotic. I mean, it is the media's job to raise questions. So you know, just to add to that, uh, when you say media, I'm guessing you mean online print. Yes, TV, I mean, everything. Yes, yes. My story particularly pertains to TV news channels because, as N. Ram says in my story, he says that TV channels have become a slave to the licensing regime, which is very true. Because if you are a TV channel, you need a license to operate, and then you have a code of conduct, you have a programming code that you need to abide by. So, and he says that newspapers don't really face this problem because we don't have a licensing thing like this at all. So, what I'm trying to say is that it's mainly the TV channels that will face this kind of pressure from INB. because not only are they doing this in real time and not only is their reach more on paper they are they have to follow certain guidelines correct uh but i want to this debate can go on and on but i do <laughs> want to come back to uh, the balakot air strikes and pulwama since we were talking about that we were talking about how this has changed the dynamics between india and pakistan mm-hmm. right so i want to talk about who came out oh, there have been you know on social media and uh, people have been pointing out how imran khan should be given the seoul peace prize so according to you guys as reporters nobel who, peace prize i'm nobel. sure oh nobel. i thought no okay yeah i know the ministers asked yeah. for give him a peace uh-huh. prize they oh. want every, something better than modi <laughs> <laughs> no i think i since modi got seoul i thought someone else mentioned that he should be given that peace prize too but Who do you think came out strong in the media perception game? Was it Pakistan Prime Minister Imran Khan or was it Narendra Modi? Vijayta. See, uh, Pakistan is a rogue country. I mean, you cannot. I mean, you know. I mean, the army rules there. Mm-hmm. So whatever Imran Khan is saying is mere lip service. Mm-hmm. Uh, Musharraf tried to rein in these uh, terrorist organizations, and he suffered. Uh, you, we all know what happened with Musharraf. He suffered even. Uh, Jash was banned only after they uh, attempted to kill Musharraf. Mm-hmm. So in 2002. so pakistan is a different ball game we cannot be hyphenating ourselves with pakistan correct uh, we are much mature democracy we have much larger things we are a democracy <laughs> however <laughs> we still we still run by the constitution correct uh, certain aberrations might be there but this country is run by correct. the constitution and in pakistan there is no rule of law so this constant uh, in in this past uh, 15 20 days we have been you know constantly hyphenated with pakistan hmm. I mean, why aren't why can't we compare ourselves to say China or US? I mean, why this uh, constant urge to be seen with Pakistan? I mean, uh, 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 Wing Commander Abhinandan was returned after interventions by UAE, Saudi, okay. mm-hmm. US, China. I mean, <laughs> and then you come out and say that uh, he he came back because of the bravado of one person mm-hmm. here. I mean, which mm-hmm. world are we living in? True. So we have to we have to factor in these things, mm-hmm. and uh, pa- whatever action Pakistan is taking right now, it's because they want to escape from uh, uh, the punitive actions by FATF, mm-hmm. Financial Action Task Task Force, which is a multi-country body. 
and it keeps a check on countries uh, which uh, uh, flout uh, uh, financial norms uh, like who support terrorist entities so uh, the next hearing is in J june and pakistan is already in the gray list and it will impact their economy it will impact uh, their uh, uh, bank reserves so it is on them to prove to the world that they are doing something so these these detentions of uh, masood azhar's son hamad azhar and his brother so you saying all this is just just a, yeah it, because it's it, it's a uh, cycle okay. every time the international uh, community uh, uh, pressure Sizes them, they come up with these excuses. So we cannot be, you know, seen as you know. Yeah, I Pakistan think I this. agree with you. I agree with you when you say that you know we should be comparing ourselves to countries who are advanced. But particularly about China, speaking as a reporter purely about media freedom, I don't think we should be comparing ourselves to China no, when no, it comes to media like freedom. No, no, I didn't mean like that. <laughs> Not at all in terms of media freedom. But you know, uh, uh, just look at them. I mean, uh, uh, their their imports. Uh, I was reading uh, uh, Anand Krishnan's story today. He he said that eighty percent, uh, whatever trade is there between India and China. So we are uh, we are uh, actually exporting only twenty percent and importing eighty percent goods from yeah. like whatever we have uh, between India and China. So you know these are the things we should be talking about: Absolutely. economy, jobs, employment. Absolutely. I mean, this war mongering will only suit Pakistan. They have nothing to lose. <laughs> Sure. Right. Yeah, I absolutely agree. But what I've noticed noticed is that this admiration among some, you know, besides some public figures, uh, for Imran Khan and what he did, returned wing commander Abhinandan comes to these twenty year olds, people from my generation who might lack the context of you know where India Pakistan relationships are rooted. Mm. This is a generation that is way post partition, way mm. probably haven't seen the the tensions, communal tensions in their own country, in their own yeah, societies. If we talk about when Jesh was formed, I was a toddler. Exactly, exactly, and, <laughs> exactly. And, we, and it's, it's this is the first India-Pakistan skirmish of this scale that's happening in the age of the internet when the mm. social media is so active. So these are people who might not. I mean, you can't blame them. They are the generation who don't understand what Pakistan is, what what it might be about. But I mean. Imran Khan for Nobel Peace Prize is just the most ridiculous thing. I mean, this is the man who, when he was interviewed in the 1980s, when he was playing cricket, hmm. he was asked why his bowling performance was specially too good when, you, when it came against India, when he was playing against India. And he said, because I don't see it as bowling, I see it as a jihad. And no, I didn't so, mean about whether they should, uh, Imran Khan should be given Peace Prize or not. I just meant in terms of the media perception yeah. I think not talking to the media is what did not work yes, in the favor exactly. of the Indian government so if I can just add to what Ayush said I'm not early 20s but I really <laughs> do think I really do think that Imran Khan won the global, so global diplomatic battle as, as far as optics is concerned because like on one side you have his press conference that goes on for about 16 minutes you have our press conference that lasted about 120 seconds and in just in terms of optics right he goes ahead he returns wing commander abhinandan after we sent our jets after theirs and crossed the loc so at least as far as optics plays out he does come off, he does come across looking much better than india at least in this case i think we have to quickly move on from this topic sure. so one last question to the panel what did you guys think of 
just quick comments on media's coverage of Balakot, of Pulwama. And here I'm not just talking about TV studios, newspapers, uh, journalistic commentary on social media. Just your quick thoughts, whoever wants to go first. Uh, there's been a proper overload of information, if I can actually say that, you know, and this is probably one of those times when you need to not double check, but triple check everything that you're reading to just know that, okay, fine, this is what the storyline and the timeline is like. So I think the coverage has been extensive and elaborate, but there have been some gaps with certain publications here and there, which, I mean, as a reader, what if what if I don't want to double check or triple check something? Just because I'm a journalist, I will do that. But a normal reader will not do that. So, I mean, if, if you're a journalist, you'll probably double or triple check everything you're reading because it won't match with the narrative you were reading yeah. earlier. But a normal reader will not do that. They'll probably read the first piece that comes to them and take it at face value. So, I think in this time, it's very important to corroborate whatever you're reading, no matter how much you trust a publication. Vijeta? So, I, will, I can only speak of uh, the Hindus' coverage because we were involved in it. So, uh, our uh, mandate is very clear. We report what whatever is authenticated and whatever has been cross-checked. Okay. So, we will not uh, I mean, do any uh, guess, guesswork or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, whatever information was given out by the government plus the information that we got from sources which you can, you can blind, I mean not blindly but you can rely on because we have been in touch with them. Okay. And uh, so, we put out only that information which could be you know, corroborated uh, through through a second source. So, I mean, how do you balance that with coming out first? I mean, because there's always this race that if we don't put out... No, we infam- have to... Uh, no, there is a pressure to come out first, but there is also a pressure to report right, correct. to report the correct version. Uh, we, we have been told very clearly that... See, you, you might be late by a few minutes or a few hours, but please don't be wrong okay. because the credibility of the 140-year-old newspaper is at stake. So we take that very seriously. If somebody is not confirming something, we will not put out that information okay. and we'll wait. Uh, Ayush, your thoughts on that? And also you were, before, the, before we began recording, you were mentioning something about NYT's policy on this. So, I mean, I think the legacy media didn't do too well when it came to the coverage, uh, especially the television media. And Manisha's piece illustrates that the, the whole thing about Yusuf Azar dying, they jumped the gun on him. Second, uh, I think that some of the digital websites were very good at taking on the legacy media. Mm-hmm. I think uh, scroll we, I mean, not to be self-congratulatory, but we did a fine job. And I think among the newspapers, Indian Express did a very good job. Mm -hmm. And I'll just illustrate my point to an example. On the 2nd of March, the report by Sushant said that uh, Indian Air Force actually did not cross the LOC. We might have just launched a missile from behind the LOC, even though missiles obviously fell in Pakistan proper. Mm -hmm. Now, Everyone till then had the impression that we had crossed LOC. I mean, almost uh, 95% of certainty Mm. we had that, okay, this has happened. I was really surprised that that became a big news because Reuters had already said that we were 100 kilometers away from the actual blast site. Mm -hmm. And since Balakot is about 80 kilometers from the border, being 100 kilometers from the blast side would mean we were 20 kilometers inside our borders. Right. But that didn't get as much attention as the IEP. This was carried in the Hindu also before. Okay. 
yeah. I think so. That just yeah. means you did not read the Hindu. <laughs> I'm, so, I, I'm actually actually guilty of that. I <laughs> don't end up reading Your the pardon. Hindu. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I was illustrating it, and so they on the second of March they say that we did not cross the LOC, hmm. but then one would expect that on to 27th, 28th they might have reported that we did cross because everyone thought that was the impression. But going back to Sushant's report in the Indian Express, he had deliberately introduced an ambiguity hmm. about whether Indian Air Force the jets actually went inside. So if you read the Indian Express on 27th, you see they've said that there was the first time since 71 that when we struck inside Pakistan, mm-hmm. which is very distinct from other publications which said we went inside Pakistan. So I think Indian Express should be lauded for that, keeping that nuance in mind. Correct. And since you've brought this distinction with legacy media, with online mm-hmm. publications, we were talking about agency copies earlier and how agencies were the first one to be sort of the source of the number 300. I think it is a very it's very important to point out that bureaus are closing across. And if we have to, again, depend on singular sources, which are agencies here, we will face the same challenge as we faced with the first post report, because Mm -hmm. agencies then become a singular source. We don't have reporters on the ground. We don't have bureaus, let's say, in the northeast or in uh, areas which are, let's say, Chhattisgarh, deep inside Chhattisgarh. Then we will have very limited resources to cross-check or verify what uh, Mm wires are putting out. Right. And given your point about what I read in the NY, uh, the NYT said was just doing some research and it said that as a matter of policy they make sure that they don't just refer very important in, very important information to the word sources they just don't say sources told us Why there not? has to have some sort of an identification of what this source is because okay. saying sources is just fo- going falling into that pitfall of being very very vague and probably faking news you know mm-hmm. that happens in this country so that i think that's a good policy and that should be done here but then it's also contextual i mean okay. it's easy to say that also in of course indian pub people should also follow what NIS, nyt says but then indian uh, journalists and indian people and indian sources face much I mean, more danger indian than indian journalists are working with their own set of challenges right. but uh, vijayata what do you think do you think that nyt's policy would work in india Oh, it depends on which organization you're working Mm -hmm. for. Uh, Because in Hindu, we have very strict code rules. And uh, I'm not sure about others. But yeah, by and large, uh, uh, journalists in mainstream newspapers, they follow this rule that, uh, you know, the sources have to be protected. But, you know, you're not get you're not, you you do cross-check information. You do put, before putting out a story, you do. Which should Indian journalists also give at least one identifier, if not the name, if not making it obvious who this person is, should there be a little bit of identifier of who the source is? You know, for that, uh, uh, the entire mindset has to change. The bureaucracy is like that. The ministers are like that. Whenever you join the Indian government, you become like, you know, closed closed to information. Hmm. So it's very difficult uh, to get to the ministry building and talk to babus and, you know... uh, get information or even go to a hospital talk to the ms so it's 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 not an easy thing like uh, because these people they also they also uh, they have a job to keep correct so they will be very careful in what they say but it's on us how we judge the information uh, moving on, Gaurav, you spoke about one story that yeah. you did about how we need to present both sides of the same mm-hmm. coin and so what is the second story that will possibly hold the government to account? Well, the second story... In certain ways. In certain, in certain ways. 
but the second story speaks about uh, facebook's recently released uh, ad library where it uh, you know collects all the ads that have been there since sometime last year on facebook on facebook and instagram both cuz okay. you know uh, but it not only shows you who are the heaviest spenders uh, if you look closely at the numbers they'll show you that certain parties probably like the bjp they have been heavily spending on advertising with each passing week as we reach closer to the general election that is just one trend that is seen in the numbers but uh, in fact the main peg of the story is about how there are these ghost advertisers who run advertisements without a disclaimer so basically facebook's policy is that if you're running an ad that is of national importance or you know is 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 of a political party if you're running ads that is of a political party or of you know of national importance according to facebook then there has to be a disclaimer that comes along with it for example if the bjp is advertising is putting out one of its ads on facebook and instagram there'll have to be a a disclaimer says that by bhartiya janata party and these ads did not have these disclaimers in fact the majority the heaviest spenders were all ghost accounts which means that they did not come with a disclaimer in f- okay so the total amount spent they did not have any disclaimer or they did not so let's take let's take an example there are two pages under the name bharat ki man ki baat okay one has a disclaimer that says by bharat ki man ki baat shows hmm. you ki we have spent about 6 lakhs in the last one month Correct. on advertising on the other hand you have another page called bharat ke man ki baat which runs ads without a disclaimer which means that you cannot pinpoint their source of funding they have spent nearly a crore in the last month and about 20 lakhs in just the last week itself But so what is the source for the pehla bharat ke man ki baat in the disclaimer what is their source bharat ke man ki baat so okay. they'll say that it's my gov india or bhartiya janata party oh, But so in the BJP. second one okay. that source BJP. isn't yeah. mentioned right exactly but in this yeah exactly in ads that run without a disclaimer you don't know who's re- who's been funding that so officially if the bjp's accounts are spending about 6 to 8 lakhs a week then who are these guys who are pushing about a crore worth of advertising in a month is there a way that we can know this but they do say that it's advertisement right it's it's clear that what they're putting out is advertisement it's an it is an advertisement Correct. but facebook's policy is that if an ad is of a political nature then mm. there has to be a disclaimer that comes along Correct. with it and they this, do this to ensure that the people who these political parties who are advertising or the people who are advertising are based within india itself mm. and their audience is for the indians this is facebook's own policy after what happened in the us elections exactly yeah so it really looks like they're trying to redeem themselves in a certain way but i mean it doesn't take a genius to look at the numbers and figure out what happens because if you look at it on a monthly basis or on a weekly basis the top 5 in each category are heavy pro bjp spenders hmm. you know like 1 crore a month and and we just have information that is just for one month because that's what facebook has curated as of now hmm. if they keep this up till the general election we'll see this trend building up that with each passing week more and more money is being pushed for aggressive advertising on facebook and, and instagram and why does this assume importance right now because we're approaching nearer to the election and, and also because facebook released this report just day before yesterday and also because the moral code of conduct will kick in right the two biggest flags would be is the ec going to take cognizance of this when the moral code of conduct kicks in and you know will you be capped off saying that okay you spent over a certain amount now you hmm. can't etc and obviously who are these people man yeah. like okay so for an, this is really funny cuz i came across it this morning when i was writing the story uh, there's a page called namo merchandise namo okay. merchandise that runs ads without a disclaimer hmm. it has a page on facebook I does and it has a page on Instagram so I went to their Instagram page and they have a blue tick namo merchandise that sells modi's t-shirts and caps and scarves they and have sarees by the way also they have so that is run by bjp i mean they promote it but they are not accounting for it by okay. by giving a disclaimer okay so the election commission has made it very clear this time 
that all these spendings on Facebook and social media will be taken into account in your like final like Correct. whatever amount you can spend the political parties. But if you are not giving a disclaimer, then it will yes. at least on yeah, the top look like area. it's not a pro-political yeah. ad. Yes. But this particular page, okay, Namo Merchandise, it follows only 8,000 people. Sorry, it has only 8,000 followers and it follows... That's very less. It's really less to have a blue tick and it follows just one person and that is Mr. Modi. Uh-huh. <laughs> the cat is out of the bag, huh? <laughs> uh, so, Vijayata, just, uh, do you guys want to talk about anything else? Yeah, I was just saying, this is the, since we're leading up to the elections, so just yeah. like 2014, I, I'm expecting those notifications that I used to get in, you know, at this time in, back in 2014, mm-hmm. a page you liked called I Love My Cat has changed its name to Jai Shri Ram. Wow. And, yeah, and there were good reports of, uh, you know, through backhand dealings that, a certain political party was actually trying to take over very popular pages and convert them into propaganda channels. So I think since hard. we were talking about merchandise, I do want to mention there was this surgical strike sari. Yeah. I found, I was like, what? Who will wear that? I don't know. I mean, there'll be a class of people soon. Party <laughs> now workers. The is, now that the product is in the market. But since we're talking about general elections, just I want, uh, I just want closing thoughts from the panel of, uh, especially Vijayata, you, uh, since you cover internal security, how do you see internal security issues, Balakot, Pulwama, how do you think this will impact the narrative for general elections and the results? I mean, given that, we were talking about before what happened, before Pulwama happened, we were talking about Rafael, we were talking about issues that the government hasn't answered or addressed. But now this is, I mean, it's also overtaken Ayodhya for that matter. The SC River uh, reserved its order about the mediation Mm -hmm. deal and I don't see it getting as much coverage as it would otherwise. So how do you see these issues impacting the the narrative? The onus lies on journalists to ask the questions and also the opposition which has just given up its job uh, given up its responsibility in uh, taking the government to task on uh, jobs and employment and there's a CMIE data which says that uh, unemployment is again like you know it's it's uh, 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 unemployment rate is quite high this time yeah. so you know these are the issues which affect common man I mean day to day uh, my my uh, this airstrike it might make headlines it it might give a kick to some people Aap chai, I mean you can sit in, at a chai ka dukan and you know gossip over it or you go to a restaurant and you know like India beat Pakistan we so these things uh, will not affect my normal life I hmm. I need clean air I need uh, law and order in my city, in my area. So th- where are these issues? Why aren't we talking about it? So this is where newspapers come in handy. At least Correct. we don't dedicate all the space to, you know, say Balakot. There is a section for city reporting. There's a section for nation reporting. So we are getting stories from the ground. It's on the reader hmm. to read and, uh, you know, then make up his or her mind that uh, what is their priority from the government. So while internal security and national security uh, is important, you're saying that it is on journalists and the readers, the onus lies with both to sort of strike the balance and hold the government to account. Um, Guys, any other closing thoughts? If not, let's move to recommendations. What do you want to tell the people to read today? My recommendations for the week are um, R. Jagannathan. He wrote a piece for Swaraja saying what... um, Imran Khan will actually have to do to deserve a Nobel Peace Prize. I thought that was a good piece. Mm-hmm. And since we were talking about the sources and the whole the dangers of 
सोर्स बेस्ड रिपोर्टिंग प्रवीण धोंतीस पीस इन कैरवन फ्रॉम टू थाउजेंड थर्टीन कॉल द नोन इन द अनोन दैट वॉज वेरी गुड एंड इट हैज़ अ प्रोफाइल ऑफ कपल ऑफ आई थिंक मोस्ट पर्टिकुलरली प्रवीण स्वामी बट बिसाइज दैट सम अदर लीडिंग जर्नलिस्ट हु really give you a lot of insight about how the beat works okay uh vijayta so you should read enram's piece today in the hindu it's uh, on rafal hmm. that how the bank guarantees were you know uh, uh, not securing bank guarantees uh, shot up the price of rafal so these are the issues we want you to you know uh, we keep bringing the readers back to this hmm. issue so yeah my my pick would be okay rafal sure. story i mean i was just seeing on twitter the news was breaking as we started recording since you brought up rafal uh i'm reading the leaflet's tweet it says attorney general on behalf of the center has submitted to the supreme court documents saying that documents pertaining to rafael that the hindu procured that the hindu published were stolen and the government is considering launching a prosecution under the official secrets act oh, the well, ags said news to me. I, <laughs> yeah, i mean because it was just breaking and i was like uh, okay i'm not aware of this <laughs> uh gorov uh i would like to recommend this piece by robert fisk for the independent uh it was called that israel's fingerprints are all over the battle between india and pakistan and it goes on to talk about how we've become the biggest market for israel in terms of weapons that's a really really well researched piece by fisk who's been the middle east correspondent for the independent since the 80s if i'm not wrong Uh, my recommendation is Pratik's piece, which is why claims about the PF pilots lynching don't add up, mm-hmm. and I think it's a really, really important piece, uh, which everyone should read. It's up on newslaundry.com, where I mean, if you go to the website, you can also hear a lot of other cool stuff. And if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Castbox, or any other podcast app, please do visit our website newslaundry.com to check out other cool stuff that we've been doing. Okay guys so that's a wrap for this episode thanks to everyone who listens to us and writes to us regularly we read your feedback and discuss it uh we also brainstorm about how to make things better so if you guys have any suggestions for us please do mail us yeah you can uh, either tweet to us tweet to all of us leave your comments on our timeline or write to contact at news laundry also please do remember to subscribe to news laundry to pay to keep news independent and azad and maybe even buy me a plastic gavel to go with my order order opening tagline as if we don't suffer enough what <laughs> so anyway uh but to subscribe to news laundry you can visit our website newslaundry.com thank you panel so much for your time thank you and your thoughts thank you especially thanks to vijayta yeah. i really yeah. learned a lot today thank you so much <laughs> Happy subscribing. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.